Well, you start hanging around St. Paul's, and the next thing you know, you're preaching the sermon on a Sunday morning. So be careful, those of you out there. <clears throat> the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis is an amazing story with all kinds of amazing twists and unexpected turns. And yet the Old Testament lectionary reading for this morning, taken from the story of Joseph, strangely stops just when we are getting into the story, right at the crisis, or at least at the first of many crises to come in the story. It stops with Joseph's brothers selling him to a band of traders traveling to Egypt. Why would the lectionary writers decide to stop the story in such a strange place, right at the beginning, without giving us any idea of how it might end? I guess that's where life is lived, in the middle of the story, not really knowing how it will ultimately play out for us, for good or for bad, happy or sad, tragic or redemptive. There is a Taoist story of an old farmer who had worked his crops for many years, and one day his horse ran away, and upon hearing the news, his neighbors came to visit. Such bad luck, they said sympathetically. Maybe, the farmer replied. The next morning, the horse returned, bringing with it three other wild horses. How wonderful, the neighbors exclaimed. Maybe, replied the old farmer. The following day, his son tried to ride one of the untamed horses and was thrown and broke his leg. The neighbors again came to offer their sympathy on the misfortune to which the farmer responded, maybe. The day after, military officials came to the village to draft young men into military service. And seeing that the son's leg was broken, they passed him by. The neighbors congratulated the farmer on his good fortune. Maybe, said the farmer. This is how we often experience our lives when we are in the middle of them, which is where we live most of the time. We are not sure if we're living a happily ever after or are waiting for the next shoe to drop. If we continue reading the story of Joseph, we see that his being sold into slavery by his brothers is not the end of the story at all, but just the beginning. The tragic and life-changing experience is only a part of the larger redemptive story of Joseph's life and is also a part of the even larger story of God's continuing care for and redemption of Israel. And as we continue with the story, we find that as fate would have it, Joseph went from being sold as a slave by the traders to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and from there into Pharaoh's prison where he was an inmate for two years. And from there he finds himself sitting face to face with Pharaoh, listening to and interpreting one of his dreams. 
Pharaoh had two dreams that were troubling him, with no one to interpret them for him. And Pharaoh had heard through his cupbearer, who had been in prison with Joseph, that Joseph had a gift for interpreting dreams and explaining their deeper meaning. So Joseph found himself pulled out of prison and listening to the dreams. And he told Pharaoh that the two dreams were both the same, a single dream, really, predicting first seven years of rich harvest in Egypt and then seven years of famine. And Joseph told Pharaoh also that the dream indicated that Pharaoh would appoint a servant to oversee the gathering and storing of grain during the seven years of plenty so that there might be reserves to feed the people during the years of famine. Pharaoh decided that Joseph's interpretation was true and from God, and he set Joseph over this plan to store up grain so that it might be available during the famine. And Joseph became the most powerful man in Egypt, except, of course, for Pharaoh. And in another interesting twist in the story, at the end of the story, Joseph is reunited with his brothers, his father, and his family. When his brothers come to buy grain from Pharaoh's servant, who of course is Joseph, and after reconciling with his brothers and his father Jacob, the whole family is brought into Goshen in Egypt, where Joseph could watch over and protect his family and this is the beginning of Israel's life in Egypt. But that's a whole nother story. But out of this experience, Joseph came to believe that what his brothers intended for evil, God somehow used for good. For through him, countless lives were saved from the famine and certain death, as well as the lives of his own family and his own people where at first there seemed to be an unspeakable crime against him by his brothers, Joseph now saw a thread of redemption running through his life. Not just a twist of fate, but God's providence at work in and through the ups and downs of his story. The Apostle Paul, when writing Romans, also found himself struggling with being in the middle of the story of God's redemption of Israel and trying to make sense of an unexpected turn in the story there. Paul attempted to make sense of how it was that the risen Christ he had encountered on the road to Damascus, who he believed to be the hoped-for Messiah of Israel, how could it be that he came to his people, the Jews, and they rejected him? For Paul, it was difficult to make sense of this. Were God's promises to Israel still reliable? Was there a larger plan that was served by the rejection of Jesus by the Jews? And like Joseph, Paul began to see a thread of redemption, where at first he had only seen a roadblock. For through the Jews' rejection of Jesus, Paul now saw a door was opened to the Gentiles. And this began his mission. And Paul believed that this inclusion of the Gentiles would ultimately lead to the inclusion of all into God's kingdom 
the Jews, the Gentiles, everyone. And out of this struggle came some words of wisdom and hope from Paul. And Paul was not one who was prone to false optimism born out of an easy life, but rather he was one whose hope had been tried and tested by hardship, by suffering, shipwrecks, prison, torture, beatings, and eventually execution. And in Romans, Paul shared his life-tested faith when he said, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And for Paul, I think this doesn't mean that for those of us who love God, somehow we will be shielded from the tragedies that befall everyone else. It doesn't mean that if we are faithful and patient, our lives will finally one day turn out with the happy ending we had hoped for. When Paul says all things work for good, he means all things. The ups and the downs. The light and the dark our obedience and even our disobedience, the good and even the evil are within the redemptive and transforming power of God's love. When I was in college, I had the first truly devastating experience of my young life. I was kicked out of my fraternity. I didn't know you could get kicked out of your fraternity for partying too much, but you can And it was devastating to me at the time. It felt as though my closest friends, the people who knew me best, had seen me for who I was and had rejected me. And after this experience, I carried within me a wound and a fear that if others saw me as I really was, they too might reject me because maybe I wasn't lovable. And I think on some level, I even felt this way in my relationship to God, for if anyone could see me who I really was, God could. And years later, I was asked to write a spiritual autobiography for the first time when I was applying to the Candler School of Theology at Emory University in Atlanta. And in putting on paper the story of my life, I was surprised to see that this painful chapter from my college years an experience I never would have chosen if if the choice were mine, had become a watershed experience that put my life on a totally different path than the one it had been on. And in looking back on it, I realized that out of this painful experience of rejection, I looked in a new place for new friends and turned to the church. And this eventually led to my applying to Emory and being accepted there in my first vocation as a Methodist pastor and also to meeting my wife there. But also out of this experience of rejection, I came to see myself as an outsider for the first time. Being kicked out of my fraternity somehow opened a door inside me that expanded my capacity for compassion on others who are struggling much more profoundly than I was with what it meant to be an outsider. And it was out of this experience that I fell in love with God in Christ 
who loved outsiders of all sorts and called them and called me and called us beloved children of God. And I think probably as important, I learned and am still learning to trust this journey to which God has invited me and invites all of us through Jesus and his church. And I'm learning to have a deeper trust, not that everything will turn out like I want it to in the end, but to trust how God is inviting me to lean into the journey as it is and trust that God is at work weaving a thread of redemption in all of it, the ups and the downs, the good and the bad. As providence would have it, I've been reading Yes And, Daily Meditations by Father Richard Rohr, and I believe the chapter titled Center and Circumference has something to add to this message this morning. Trying to put Father Rohr's words in my words, he says, I believe, God in Christ invites us on a journey into the mystery of the divine, into the mystery of God's profound love. And strangely enough, it is only through this journey into the mystery of God's love that we are truly able to journey into the mystery of ourselves, who we truly are. Not who we wish we were, but who we really are and who we can only be in the freeing love of God's grace. For only there are we free to be our best selves. And in turn, we can only know God through living into our broken and rejoicing lives. And this dual journey into the mystery of God and into the mystery of ourselves is not one we could ever plan out for ourselves because it involves some twists and turns we would never choose nor even imagine in our minds. And yet there it is in the very lives we have been given. In the way to begin this journey of taking up our own inglorious, mundane, and ever-present crosses is so simple and yet so difficult at times simply to live fully into the joy and the pain of the lives we have been given. Christ bids us to come and trust the journey. Amen.